everyone. We're glad that you guys are here to uh, worship with us this morning. Uh, like Thad mentioned, today we're wrapping up the series uh, called The Lies That Defeat Us. And each week we've been looking at a certain lies that plague us in our mind and kind of pull and tug on our emotions and, call it, and cause us to react to life and circumstances and trouble in a certain way uh, that also can cause discouragement and just kind of an overall sense of, of dread in life. And so the purpose of this series has not been to kind of bring up the lies and just leave it at that, like we're all in trouble, run for the hills, but actually to look at what, what do we do when those thoughts come uh, to our mind. And the reason those are important is the things that you just saw there on the video are not just mere ideas that we think, they're actually like landmines that can settle into our head that can kind of cause us to, as we step on them, as we rely on them, as we kind of believe that they're true, they, they actually can, can blow up and cause a lot of havoc for us in our progress that we make in life, in our relationships. And so I just wanted to review where we've been headed because the key about these lies, they show the fact that we have to actually fight to claim the life that God has promised us. And the best way to fight to claim the life that God has promised us is to actually combat the lies with the truth of his promises that are found in the scripture. So if you want to know how to fight the lies, you also need to know what God has told you, what God has promised, what he has given us to do that. And so God is a good God who in the midst of battle gives us all we need to fight. And so I just want to review the lie and the promise that he's been, that he has given to us just so we're all on the same page and we can kind of launch on the last lie today. So the first week of the series, we talked about it's too hard. Uh, When you're faced with something that just, you, you seem overwhelmed, there's no way that you can handle what you have, you, you say this lie, it's too hard. And we looked at the promise from God in Jeremiah 32, 17. I'm not going to read all of these, but you can see them. Uh, the idea that, that nothing is too hard for God, and that's the truth that you fight with. It may be too hard for me, and there may be something that I'm dealing with that I can't handle, but nothing is too difficult for God. And so you rely on that in the midst of that. The second week we looked at, I'm too tired. Uh, life can be busy, it can be overwhelming, And you can wake up every morning with this just sense of how can I have the energy, how can I have the enthusiasm, how can I have all the tools needed to do what I'm supposed to do. And a lot of times you may feel empty, you may feel just like, I cannot do it. And it's it's related to tiredness, weariness. And there's a promise in Isaiah 40, 31 that we can claim. This is the idea that God gives us strength to overcome the things which are draining us, the things that are overwhelming us. Uh, The third week we looked at, it's not what I want And how we have a plan in our life, a certain picture of what we thought our life would be currently. We have a certain picture of what our future would be. And what tends to happen is when life and reality hits and it's not like we thought, there's something in us that can just crumble. And it's this idea of, this is not what I thought it would be. This is not the relationships that I thought I'd have. This isn't the success that I thought I would be at in work, in ministry. And there's a sense of where you thought you'd be, you're not. And it can be overwhelming. And the the promise there is this idea that uh, it's not our will to be done, but but it's it's the Lord's. So despite the plans I have, ultimately, I have to combat this lie with, it's not about what I want in this picture of my life, but ultimately what God wants for me. Uh, Last week, we looked at it's not fair. And if you have kids, this is something that you hear a lot probably in your household because there's this idea of life from a young age just is not fair. People get things that you don't get. 
Uh, you get trouble that other people don't get. And there's this sense of how does this all balance? How does this all work? And there's this overwhelming sense that we all can have of this, this just isn't right. It's not fair. Why me? Why them? And it can cause us to compare. And so you fight that lie with, uh, with Genesis 50, 20. The things that were meant for my harm, God, you use for good so that people can know more about you. And so that promise is true. And then today we're looking at a real lie, just like the other ones that probably you have thought this past week. I know how I have, but it's so easy to think. And that's the, the lie of I'm the only one. And when you face that lie of I'm the only one, you're looking at your circumstances. You're looking at where you stand. You're looking at just everything that you've been given. And sometimes you have this overwhelming flood of dread and emotions that just tell you like, why do you have to face this? This person doesn't have to face this. This person didn't have to do that. And you think in history, you're the only one that has certain circumstances that are, that are weighing you down. And this idea of I'm the only one is a real tool for the enemy. Because if you're isolated and you are completely cut off from the resources that God wants you to have, whether it's from the scriptures or whether it's from people that can help you, you can be taken out. And so this lie, as we close out the series, is as critical as the others to learn how to fight. Because if you think that you are the only one and there's no one that can kind of understand what you're dealing with, you're going to live a life where you're completely feeling alone, pulling back, and missing the promises that God wants to give you. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 14, 6, and we're going to be digging into the Old Testament again. But I wanted to kind of set up a little bit about how this, this lie hits us. What are the ways that, that, it, that it gets to us? Well, you may have thought this lie if you think something like this. I can't really relate to this person. I can't really relate to this group. Or they don't understand me. Or they don't kind of understand what I'm, what I'm going through. And it sometimes can happen. You have a background that you, of your life. You've got different circumstances that you faced. And as you relate to other people, you think, they, they haven't faced what I've faced. They haven't done what I've done. They've not said what I've said. There's this feeling that you pull back because they don't, they don't quite understand. And the landmine can just go off. Another thought we have is that these people aren't like me. So maybe they, not just that they don't relate, but they're just, they're just different than you. And depending on where you are, there's, there's a different cool factor that, that we have in life. It's like a, a cool estimate, like I'm more cool than them or they're way cooler than me. And you think, well, that's junior high. But isn't that a lot of times we face those same issues, even as adults? We have a picture of kind of the group that we belong to. And if people aren't in that group, we tend to pull back. We tend to think that they, they don't really understand or I don't really fit. And they don't really fit with me. And there's this idea of we see this puzzle piece and we're like this one puzzle piece that belongs to no other puzzle. And we're just by ourselves disjointed with space and no one fits us. And these are real things that get into us. It's not just a, a kid issue. It's not just a childish issue. It's actually an adult issue that we face. Because if we are isolated, if we think we are the only puzzle piece and nothing connects to it, we are cut off from the life God wants us to have. We're cut off from the resources he wants to give us. And so those are just some of the ways that it comes. Now, I've learned in my own life, even recently, that these lies, all of them, creep into my mind, and sometimes I don't even realize it. A few Sundays ago, I was prepping for a message, and usually like Sunday mornings for a pastor can be kind of stressful. You wake up and you think like, what am I saying again? And when you say that, you're like, that's really scary. But what am I saying? 
And sometimes that happens as you leave the chair to the stage like, what is this message? Not to freak you guys out, but that can happen. And you can be overwhelmed by this, this what, what am I doing? What am I going to say? How am I going to say? And, and it just can be overwhelming. And a few weeks ago, I was prepping for a message on the lies that defeat us. And I had this like overwhelming sense of loneliness. And it was like, not just like, man, I'm lonely, that stinks. But like, man, I, I feel all alone. Like I, I feel cut off. I feel isolated. And this is as I'm prepping for a message on the lies, I was believing this lie. And this is what God does. He works things out. He gives you this truth from Scripture. He gives you someone that comes along to encourage you. And sometimes in the midst of the lies that you're chewing on, you're brought out. And you kind of are risen above what you're going through. And you can see what's happening. And I had a friend that called me just out of the blue on this Sunday morning. He says, hey, I want to pray for you this morning. And I was like, that was great. Thanks. And I didn't even really realize where I was at mentally. And as he started praying, I started to get emotional. And those of you that know me, that can happen, okay? I am an emotional guy, but it was just out of nowhere. And as my friend started praying for me, he just started praying that I would feel connected, that I would feel that I had the strength from God. And what I realized in the midst of everything that I was facing, even right now as I'm getting emotional, I realized I didn't realize that I was chewing on this thought that I was all alone. It wasn't until my friend prayed for me, called it out, that I actually realized that, that it's not true. I wasn't alone. Out of the blue, this friend called me to let me know that. Not just that he was there for me, but that God himself works on my behalf. In the midst of this thing that made complete sense to me, as I'm prepping for a message on the lies that get to us, I was stuck in one. And it was until that prayer that it just I snapped out of it. And so as you've been listening to these messages, and some of this can be overwhelming at times, this, this thought of, well, there's like landmines all over my brain. And that's true. There's landmines all over my brain as well. And sometimes it seems wherever you step, you're exploding. Because you go from one lie to I'm all alone to this idea of, well, I'm not all alone, but it's still not fair. And it's not what I want. And, and you just, and it feels like you can't tread anywhere. And so I want to encourage you in the midst of everything that you're facing and everything that we've been looking at, if you've been hanging in here and you have this overwhelming sense of, man, I don't know where I can tread. I don't know how I can make progress. I wanted to encourage you. God wants to use the identification of these lies that happen to draw you to him. And if you hear nothing from this message this morning, I want to encourage you. God will give you the resources you need to fight the battle. God is not a God who has a battle at hand and he doesn't give us the resources to fight. And so one of the things again and again that's been encouraging to me, and this is like a big picture context, is as you're fighting, it's the word of God, his scripture, the truth of it, that again and again allows you to fight the lies. And it may not be these five lies. There's all sorts of variations and there's different lies that aren't exactly these lies. But what happens with these lies is the only thing that you can do is you have to counter it with the truth of the Bible. Because what makes sense to you in the moment, a lot of times will not help. Because it makes sense to you. The reason you feel alone is because there's things that are happening that cause you to feel that. And it's not until you realize that God tells you you are not alone, he is with you, that now you can take an outside look 
and you can see what's going on. So more than anything, what God wants to do through the pressure of the lies, through the pressure of discouragement, he wants you to connect with him. That happens as you spend time with him every day. And so if you hear us talk about spending time with God and you have no idea what that looks like for you, we use the word quiet time or we use this idea of reading your Bible on a daily basis, and you don't know what that means and you've never practiced that, we want to help you at Church in the Valley. Because outside of your time with God, you're going to be very limited in how you fight. So if you're investigating Christianity, this is something you need to learn. This is what you do on a continual basis to connect the resources from what God wants to give you to fight. And if you've been walking with God a long time and you think, well, you know, I've read my Bible, but it's stale and I don't really see how I can apply it to this stuff. It just, I have my life and everything that goes on and then I have kind of church and these biblical ideas and I don't know how they connect. We want to help you with that as well. And so I just want to start off on the connection card. There's a place, if you would like to learn how to have a quiet time, how to, how to read the Bible to get the promises of life, into, promises of God into your life, we want to help you with that. If you want to do that with a one-on-one with a person, you can put that. If you'd like a one-time small group where you can meet with people that are wanting to learn that as well, we want to provide that for you. Because nothing I say outside of using the scriptures to fight the lie will really matter in the long run. Because it's the resources of God that give us the strength to fight. So I just thought I would ease into the message today. Okay? But that really is the back drop big picture principle of all that that we've been talking about. And so I want to turn as we've been turning to the Old Testament, because for me, as you look at history, as people have decided that they want to please God and they have decided that they want to do what he has told them to do, as you look in the Bible and characters that have done that, for me, it gives perspective. It gives help. As you see God relating to a group of people that were hard-headed or disobedient, or wishy-washy, a lot of times like myself, and maybe like you, you get a lot of hope, because you realize that the God of history and the God of the Bible is the same God that gives us promises today. It's the same God who gives us help today. And so we're going to talk about uh, the people of Israel again, like we've been talking about, and some enemies that they have, and some feelings that they encountered, and what they had to do in the midst of that to really receive the promises of God. So I want to give you kind of a cliff note version. Uh, This is found in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. And I'm not going to read you every nuance of these chapters, but give you a sense of what happened in history when people were basically isolated, when they felt cut off, when they felt like they were all alone. And so let me give you a little bit context to what we're going to read. Uh, Saul is the king, and he's the first king of Israel. And he had a son uh, named Jonathan. He was a courageous man. And we're going to be learning from kind of Jonathan's example as they encountered the enemy called the Philistines. And throughout the scriptures, you find the Philistines and Israel were always at war with each other. There was always, always battles that were, were happening. And the Philistines basically at this point in history had this leverage and upper hand against the Israelites. They had resources that the Israelites didn't have. They had skills that the Israelites didn't have. They had uh, metal to make weapons the Israelites didn't have. They knew how to make the weapons the Israelites didn't have. And so there's this thing that all the resources the Philistines had, all the numbers the Philistines had, they had troops, they had strength, they had resources. And the Israelites were just kind of left like, well, what, what do we have? And so you can begin to see that even just as they look at 
themselves as a nation, they kind of felt like they're, they're all alone. They're cut off. There's this great number, great strength, these men of courage that have all these tools to fight the battle. And what are we? What do we have? And so there was, a, there was a lot of fear that was going on. And so the Philistines were basically constantly raiding the Israelites, causing havoc, and there was great fear in the land. The Israelites knew at any time an army that outnumbered them with more resources could take them out. And so there was fear in the people. There wasn't this great plan for how to fight. There was just, there was fear. And so I want to kind of talk about lessons from a courageous prince in the midst of this context of fear, of isolation, and what happened in the midst of that. So, so here's some of the facts of Israel's disadvantage. 1 Samuel 13, verses 5 through 7. You could follow along on the screen. It says, The Philistines gathered to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots and 6,000 men to ride in them. Okay, so there's two men per chariot. Their soldiers were as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. Okay, anytime the scriptures say something like, their enemy was as many as the sand, you have to ask yourself, when did I last go to the beach? And how many grains of sand is there? There's a lot. And so they're basically comparing that this army is like the grains of sand. Everywhere you go, you see them, just like at the beach. There's sand there, there's sand there, there's sand there same thing. So they're numerous as the sand on the seashore. The Philistines went and camped at Michmash, which is east of beth Evan. When the Israelites saw that they were in trouble, they went to hide in caves and bushes among the rocks and in pits and wells. Now, does this sound like the greatest military strategy? No. The word is run for your life. The sand is coming, right? They're numerous like the sand they're coming. Let's just hide in the pit. Let's hide in the cave. Let's hide behind a bush Anywhere they could find. It wasn't part of their strategy. They, they were in panic. Some Hebrews even went across the Jordan River to the land of Gad and Gilead. They were running for their lives. And so all that was at stake for the Israelites is becoming true. There's this people that are going to overtake them. They have limited number. And King Saul, is, he's nervous. They're outnumbered greatly. He's watching his troops disappear. And so if you're in any general of an army and you begin to see the troops of your army flee, that doesn't bode much confidence for your battle. You're concerned. Frankly, you're freaked out. You may not show it to your men, but you're thinking, we're in trouble. We're all alone, and the men that we have are now running. Where are you? Get out of that bush. I can see you. You can imagine Saul just telling people, like, I could see you. Come on, fight. And they're like, we're not fighting. We're not fighting. We're greatly outnumbered, and they're freaked out. And so Saul counts his army and discovers that he has 600 men. He knew he was in trouble. Then he counted, and then he's like, yeah, pretty sure there's more than 600 grains of sand. We have like a little mound against the very beach, and they're concerned. And he kind of knew where he stood, and that's where he, we're greatly outnumbered. We don't have weapons. And at the time, the only people that actually had weapons were King Saul and his son, Jonathan. Like two out of the army, they actually had weapons to fight with. So the Philistines had a great strategy, outnumber them and cut off their resources. And here's a principle. The idea of I'm the only one is the same way. When you believe this, that you are all alone, you think, I don't have what I need to do what I need to do. And then you pull back and you're cut off from the resources God wants to give you. So many times you feel all alone, you feel isolated, you feel lonely, and so you pull away from people. Because you think they, they can't understand you. 
and you think they don't really understand what's going on. And so the very thing that you're concerned about and you're fearful of, in a way, becomes self-fulfilling. Because as you pull away, you become more alone. And as you pull away, you become more alone and more isolated, and you're cut off. In warfare, you want to cut the resources from the front lines. You want to cut the relief, the supplies. It's the same thing that happens with this lie. In the midst of things, as we feel outnumbered, as we feel overwhelmed, we're cut off from the resources God gives us with people and even hearing from him in his word like I talked about. So this is how it begins. You pull back, and then you actually, in the midst of that, are even more overwhelmed. Let's continue in the story. So what, what happens is, as all this is happening, as people are fleeing, Jonathan, who's courageous, decides, you know what? There's, there, there's something that's got to be done here. We may be outnumbered. We may have limited weapons, but we need to do something. We can't be overtaken like this. We're God's people. He's promised to bless us. We can't be overtaken by this army. This, we cannot let this happen. And so in the midst of all this havoc, Jonathan decides that, that he's going to actually fight. He's going to take a stand. And uh, 1 Samuel 14, 6 through 7. Jonathan, Jonathan said to his officer who carried his armor, so it's him and one other guy, come, let's go to the camp of those men who are not circumcised. Maybe the Lord will help us. Okay, that phrase, maybe the Lord will help us. That is a great faith angle to this lie. Because he's saying, you know, basically we're cut off and we're outnumbered and we don't have what we need. You know what? Let's trust God. Maybe he will help us. Now, if you're the armor bearer, you're the the guy helping this guy that just called you forward, you kind of start with the word maybe. Like maybe, like you want me to go out with you on a maybe. What if it's not maybe and it's no? These are the things I would be thinking. He says, maybe, maybe the Lord will help us. And then he, he, he gives this perspective, which is what we need to cling to when we face this lie of I'm the only one. He says this, the Lord can give us victory if we have many people or just a few. That's the faith angle in a very bad circumstance. We may be alone. We may feel alone. We may be outnumbered. We may not have the resources we need. But God will accomplish what he wants because he's God. He will do what pleases him. So in the midst of this, it's this idea that the victory is not by the number of men we have. The victory is in God himself. And that's the key to fighting the lies. It's not in our strategy. It's not in our background. It's not in our education. It's not in our experiences. We fight the lies through the power of God himself. The same God who powered the Israelites against great odds again and again and again and again in history. He's the same God that wants to enter into your world and give you the resources and give you the help from him being God himself. He provides what you need. And so this great faith angle is coming out like, God, God can use us despite the fact that we have many or very little men or skill or resources. So despite what we are, God could use us. And that's the faith angle he had. And then it's amazing what happens. So it goes from maybe the Lord will help us, and you're thinking, wow, the armor bearer is like, you know what, Jonathan, it's been real 
I've appreciated hanging out with you, but I'm going to go find a bush as well to hide behind. He doesn't say that. Listen to what happens. This is verse 7. The officer who carried Jonathan's armor said to him, do whatever you think is best. Go ahead. I'm with you. So look what happens. Jonathan decides that we may feel all alone, and we may be just two guys right now. Let's do this. Let's trust God. Let's do what he has said to do. Basically, let's see what happens. Let's step out in faith. And his armor bearer was drawn to it. So Jonathan, who could have completely now been by himself because of the stand he took to trust God and choose faith, he actually pulled people along. And this is an important principle. One person acting in faith to do what is right inspires and brings others along. It's true. So whatever you're facing right now, you don't know what God could do for you and through you as you decide to take his promises to heart and to follow what he has said to do. It could inspire a group of people. Now, if you're on social media, they have throwback Thursdays, you know, where you show pictures of you in second grade with your friends. Well, today we're going to do a throwback Sunday, TBS as I like to call it. We're going to show a clip, and this is like from the 1940s, and this, you're going to think this is the cheesiest thing ever, and it kind of is. It's in black and white. It's actually going to be hard to see. That will add to the quality that this is rustic and ancient, okay? You're going to be like, I can't see it. And he's like, that's the point. Actually, it's not. But the quality is not the greatest, but you'll get the sense. But th- this is a, a clip of a movie called Stout-Hearted Men, okay? Any movie called Stout-Hearted Men desires our attention in my book, okay? You name it that, I'm going to check it out. And there's a picture that happens in this story that I want to share with you that illustrates this. Against all odds, they were facing similar circumstances where their, their livelihood, their lives, their ship is going to be taken. And the leader of the group decides, we're going to go fight for what is ours. And I want you to pay attention to the reaction of the men and then what ends up happening. Let's watch this together. Men! The ship we were waiting for is anchored in the river. But it's in the hands of the police. Our plan's been discovered. In a few hours, the troops will take over the stockades. If we're ever to have our freedom, we've got to fight for it tonight. You're crazy! Yeah. Where can we go? There are a few men left on the new moon. It's our ship. We're strong enough, if brave enough, to take it back. Who's with me? Not me. I don't like Friends, what have we to lose but a life of starvation and servitude? But pirating a ship means hanging if we're caught. If we're not killed first. That's right. right. It's our own ship we're taking back. The Marines will shoot us down like animals. Would you rather live like animals? Without guns, we haven't a chance. We have a chance. Tom Boy, you were a gunner on the Spanish main. And that I was, sir. Jack, you were a sail rigger. Aye. There's enough seamen amongst us to sail a ship to the end of the earth. Friends, will you come with me and show the king's marines how the king's rebels can fight? All right, if I have to, I'll go alone. Wait, Charles, I'll go with you. One man at last. And me too, sir. Two. I'm with you, Charles. Now there's four. Me too. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Now we're ten. That makes an army. Come on. Right to the Gonzales stockade. Tell them in we're marching to the bayou. Heights Jack to the Verdure stockade. Aye. Paul to the Vietnam. Aye, sir. Who's going to stop us now? Give me some men who are stout-hearted men who will fight for the right they adore. 
start me with ten You are stout-hearted men And I'll soon give you ten thousand more Shoulder to shoulder And bolder and bolder They grow as they go to the fore Then there's nothing in the world Can fall on far plan When stout-hearted men Can stick together man to man It's up to you If you have the soul and the spirit Never fear it, you'll see it through Hearts can inspire other hearts with their fire Let the flame burn high for tonight We do or we Yes. Throwback Sunday. Now, I talked about inspiring. What can happen in those circumstances? You could actually lead out in faith and a musical just starts. I don't know if that's proven. Stout-hearted men, right? You never thought with stout-hearted men as the title, you'd have a bunch of men singing together, marching, okay? The principle is this, and I love the picture. Who's with me? And it's like, no, I'm not with you. No one is with the guy. And he decides, well, okay, well, I'm going to do this by myself. In the midst of that, he decides, well, there's other men around. Well, we can't. I mean, honestly, can we let this guy go by himself? I mean, that's pathetic. So they begin to kind of band together. And as they band together, they have an army. What went from, there's no way, we're all alone. We don't have weapons. So we, we can actually do this together. And this is the same that's happening with Jonathan. He decides, let, let's go. And let's just fight. Because this is what God has given us. We need to fight for it. And so I want to continue in the story. So they, they, they begin to take an attack on the Philistines. And they, they, they take out 20 of them, two men. And then 1 Samuel fourteen fifteen says this. All the Philistine soldiers panicked. Those in the camp and those in the raiding party. The ground itself shook. God caused the panic. So in the midst of this, they didn't know what God was going to do. They didn't know how God was going to help them. They decided to fight. They decided that they weren't going to press back and flee and give in to fear. They were going to push forward and claim the promise that God had given them. And the ground itself shook. And you see the power of God working through them. I'll continue in the story, verse 20. It says, Then Saul gathered his army and entered the battle. They found the Philistines confused, striking each other with their swords. Think about that. There's so much confusion because the Philistines weren't ready for an attack because they knew they had outnumbered the enemy. They're not going to attack us. They're weak. They're not going to attack us. They don't have resources. They're not going to attack us. We keep raiding them, and they don't fight. So there was much confusion. In verse 21, earlier there were Hebrews who had served the Philistines and stayed in their camp. So there's just a group of people that said, you know what? We can't beat them. Let's just join them. Let's be where they are. What happened is this fight happened, but now they joined the Israelites with Saul and Jonathan. 
When all the Israelites hidden in the mountains of Ephraim heard that the Philistine soldiers were running away, they also joined the battle and chased the Philistines. So the Lord saved the Israelites that day, and the battle moved on past Bethaven. So here's this picture. No one could have thought that would happen. The math didn't work. Military strategy couldn't prove that. But ultimately, they decided, let's, one man, let's do what God has told us to do. Despite all the feelings, despite the fear, let's claim the promises God has given us. And this is the statement he basically makes before everyone. We are never alone. God is with us. And the reason at the core, despite loneliness, despite the fact that you may not think anyone understands you, despite the fact you may think that you actually don't have what you need, it may be true you may need more resources in your life. But the bottom line is the idea of being completely alone is not true. Because God is always with us. He's God. So that's the promise you cling to. And I know again and again in my life, despite what I face, despite what I feel, in my emotions, the truth of God being with me provides so much comfort. I hope it does for you as well. God being with us. Imagine that. This powerful God who does things like this wants to have a relationship with us. And that, that, is, that is hope. So I want to turn the corner and kind of turn, talk about what do we do in the here and now based on this fact. And so the good news is that, that God helps us in the battle as we choose strength, courage, and carefulness in our stewardships. That if stewardship is you've been given certain responsibilities in your life, If you're a parent, you have the stewardship of parenting. If you're working, you have the stewardship of work. In all your relationships, you have certain responsibilities you have as you relate to people. At Church in the Valley, if you're serving, there's certain things that you're responsible for doing. And in everything that happens, when the lies come against us, there's a part of us that we want to just take a step back, loosen our grip on what we've been given to take care of. When that starts to happen, things just spiral. Because when we're not taking care of the responsibilities, we begin to get discouraged. Like, how could I do that? Or why is this person giving me this to do? And you, bec- you can become overwhelmed and discouraged because either you don't want to do what you have to do or you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And it just gets to you at your core. But in the midst of that, God wants us to realize that he gives us the strength of his presence with us. is isn't just that he's with you. And it's kind of this abstract idea, but it's the fact that he gives you the strength to be the parent that he wants you to be. Despite how little sleep you may be getting. He wants you to be the employee that he's called you to be, despite the projects that keep stacking up and the deadlines that you feel like you keep missing. And he wants you to be the volunteer at church in the valley. Despite the fact that, man, I have to wake up again on a Sunday morning, and that can just be such a drag. It's true. All these things are true, and we face them, but in the midst of it, God gives us his resources and himself and the power to overcome the things that that plague us. And so we must refuse to give to the discouragement that what we're doing doesn't matter, what we're doing isn't working. Uh, We must kind of refuse to give to this idea that we're we're misunderstood, that no one understands me. So in the midst of that, instead of pulling back, you actually need to connect with God and connect with others. It's kind of counterintuitive because you feel when you're all alone, there's walls. There's a wall there between you and God, it feels like. There's a wall there between you and the people that you relate to. 
It's in the midst of that. As you identify those walls, you actually ask God to give you the strength to push through them, not to kind of step back from them. That's, that's really the key. So you want to be careful. You want to have courage and strength in the things that God has given you. Second is, you need to take a faith angle in the midst of challenges. The thing which I appreciate about the scriptures and really the relationship with following God is we're never promised a trouble-free life. Now, you may think, well, that kind of stinks. But the truth is, life is not life without trouble. Trouble's going to happen because of choices we make, because of choices others make, circumstances out of our control. But it's actually the reality that in the midst of the trouble and the pressure and sometimes the pain, I can choose faith. Because the God who helps me in the good times when everything's smooth is the same God that can help me when I'm really overwhelmed, when I'm stressed out, when I'm discouraged. And so the faith angle is, God, he's going to take, take care of me. And he may be using this challenge to remind us who's in control. He may be trying to grow certain character in us through the challenges that we face. You, you learn faith by being in dire circumstances at times where faith is all that you have. And you learn strength a lot of times from realizing how little strength you have. And so the very things that you're battling and overwhelmed by, the things that actually God wants to grow in you and in me. And he also wants us to move from just depending on others and the expectations that we have on people to realizing that faith is, God, you have given me what I need. So God wants to do all this in us. And then the last is, remember that God is the source of victory in the battle. So kind of what I started with is where I want to end with. It's really this idea of a church in the valley, we want to help you learn how to live daily life following God. That's one of our primary goals. We want you to know the picture of what it looks like once you leave here to handle life. And that happens as you get to know God, as you spend time with him, as you learn what it means to read the scriptures and apply it to your life. As you do life with others, like being in a life group, we just hadn't thought, like, let's do life groups because it seems like that's what people want. It's actually life with people and connected. That's how people encourage you. That's how you can see the lives of others that are taking a faith angle in the midst of their challenges. And God uses that to encourage you. And so community and following and being with people that are trying to do the same things you are and trying to claim the promises that God has given, that, that encourages us. That happens as we connect. So as we spend time with him, as we connect with others, this, these are all the things that God does. But ultimately, more than that, it's God himself that provides the victory. So as we do things and be a part of things and serve and help, sometimes that thing's like, that's, that's what we do. That's, that's the end all. Actually, the end all is, is our relationship with God and God using us because the victory is his. And so... Whatever lie you seem to be dealing with now or the one that maybe keeps coming up where it's tiredness, it's too hard, you may feel isolated and all alone, you may be faced with things that you don't want. Whatever it is, God in the midst of that wants to connect with you to give you strength. And there's a, there's a proverb that, that's really helpful for me that's kind of actually, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing when you think about it. This is Proverbs twenty-one thirty. It says, there is no wisdom, understanding, or advice that can succeed against the Lord. So in today's kind of 
words. It's basically, there's no seminar. There's no coaching. There's no plan or strategy that can help you succeed in life. No matter what tool you have, ultimately the tool does not allow you to succeed. Let's see what the rest says. It says, you can get the horses ready for battle. So you can do all the learning. You could do all the things of involvement. But ultimately, but it is the Lord who gives the victory. So it's this, this idea, of it begins with him as we choose to do life his way. And ultimately, it ends with him. And that's really the truth of Christianity and following Christ. It begins with him and it ends with him. Doesn't that make sense? He's God. There is no victory outside of him. The horses are ready for battle. But no matter how strong your horses are or how strong the person riding the horse, the victory is the Lord God Almighty. The good news is he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to continue having a relationship with you for all the days of your life. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, no matter the discouragement that you're facing with right now that's very real, and I don't want to discount that, ultimately, you have to settle in your heart and your mind that God is the one that can ultimately help you. And even if you've thought that before, you have to continue daily in faith, saying that again and again. So my prayer is, is that you'll do that. I'm going to pray, and in a moment, Thad's going to come up and walk through some next steps. I've mentioned one of the next steps about just learning what it means to have a quiet time, and if you'd like help in that and coaching, we'd like to do that. Um, he's going to mention some others, but let's pray before he does that. God, really, the promise that the victory is yours is something that's so easy to say and at the same time disconnect from actually what we think and life and our responses to pain and trouble and relationships that are hard. But ultimately, it shows that you are the God who, who pieces it all together, makes life work because you've created reality. And so we don't want to create our own rules. We don't want to create our own strategies because ultimately you have given us what we need to live life your way. And so I pray that no matter where we are this morning, the discouragement or just the pain or just the confusion or even some apathy, God, that, that we will hope in you and the strength that you provide. And so you are God. The victory is yours, and we claim that and admit that before you. In the name of Lord Jesus, amen.